Hello, my name is Larry Dobrow, and I'm senior editor of MM&M Magazine. I'm here um, to welcome you to our first Partner Perspectives podcast. And for our first one, we are lucky enough to have Paul Levine, I'm VP of Analytic Services at Trial Card, which is one of the industry's true leaders in couponing and copay programs. Paul, thanks so much for being with us here today. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Larry. Thank you. Yeah. So we got a bunch to a uh, bunch to talk about here, but uh, I'd like to start with probably the most basic thing I could possibly ask anyone. Um, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about your professional history, and um, especially about your role at Trial Card. Sure. Well, I'm I'm one of these dinosaurs. I'm kind of a public health guy by background. <laughs> I've been working in um, healthcare in any number of different places, probably for about 25 or 30 years. Believe it or not, I got my start working at a state Medicaid agency in Massachusetts. So I kind of know the government side. I've worked in managed care for a large um, utilization management and network development company called Private Healthcare Systems. Uh, spent a good portion of time um, with a company called Infomedics, which did patient feedback programs, as well as a little stint as a market researcher, which was a really wonderful time. And for the past three or four years or so, I've been with Trial Card, and, and Trial Card is really focused on the affordability side of healthcare, helping patients get access to medications, whether that be on the retail side through copay cards and coupons, or on the specialty side through our you know full service hub um, opportunities and access. And um, what we have really been focused on, and why these folks at Trial Card have asked me to come in, was to really start up their analytics. Um, group, and that is something that we've been really focused on in the past three years, maximizing all the information that we can get from programs that we administer to allow us to really inform our clients better on ways to make good business decisions. Okay. Uh, to that end, um, you talked about you know maximizing the information you have, and I imagine TrialCard has quite a bit of information at its disposal. Um, give, give me sort of a state of the union for the analytics group. You know what's going well, um, some of the opportunities you see, and maybe even some of the challenges you see. Sure. Um, you know, I think what we've been, what I've been kind of blessed with, and I've worked in, in places where we had relatively little data, and I've worked in places where we've had a lot of data. <laughs> and, and one of the great things about Trial Card is we've just got a massive quantity of data. We probably have about 60, 70 million claims um, in, our, um, in our data warehouse. And that's allowed us to do any number of different types of things, whether that be um, aggregating um, the results for how physicians and other healthcare practitioners behave um, when they are um, exposed to something like a, a coupon or a copay program. That winds up being a very, very helpful type of insight that we can help our clients to get. So if you imagine so many pharmaceutical clients are, are, are working on things such as targeting for um, various different detailing efforts, and we can provide that insight about how those doctors are responding to a patient um, uh, support program like a copay. So that winds up being very helpful. Also, because we have all this uh, data on all the claims that have been redeemed through various different pharmacies, we have huge amounts of knowledge about which pharmacies are participating. You know, all pretty much all 67,000, 70,000 pharmacies we've got a history with. So we know what types of products are being prescribed within those areas, uh, within those specific 
stores. And it also allows us to look at in great detail from the patient perspective the range and the distribution of copays that uh, patients are exposed to. So if you imagine that type of insight, it's really giving you knowledge of the elasticity with which patients face these economic decisions when they go into a pharmacy and have to pay money for a particular product. That allows us to set offers at levels very, very specific to the kind of market that a, um, a product may be dealing with, as well as um, individual geographies. So all of this benefit from this massive amount of data is what we really spend a great time on trying to make sure that we can optimize our clients' programs to the best um, ability that we can. They're having that much information at your disposal. I imagine it's a, an intimidating task in its own way, based on everything you've just said. Huh? It can be intimidating. I think you know, for for people who are drawn to this kind of work, um, it, it they almost always look at it as a more information is better yeah, because um, you know they get to play in the sandbox with a tremendous amount of data. And but you've got to have a certain geek quotient in order to really sort of appreciate it from that perspective. <laughs> To that end, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the um, some of the programs the trial card offers. When you think about the impact of today's dynamic healthcare landscape on the design and management of coupon and copay programs, what what are some of the major factors that you need to consider? Well, I think there it's it's kind of like there's a real interplay amongst uh, a number of different stakeholders. And that's what makes this area, I think, very interesting, but also quite challenging. So you have to understand how the effect of the marketplace in terms of the competitive set of products um, is, uh, is playing out, payer responses to how those different products are considered. Um, you have to understand where the HCP is in the midst of this. You have to understand the patient perspective as far as what their willingness to pay. And at a certain level, you know, from a very, very provincial perspective, you also have to understand how cards and certain kinds of copay solutions will play with fields uh, with a field force uh, that a pharmaceutical manufacturer may have. So you have to consider all of those um, together, and depending upon which one of those stakeholders tends to be more dominant at that time or in a, in a particular situation, will wind up guiding you as far as how you focus. So I'll give you an, uh, an example of what I'm talking about. Let's assume that we're, that we're considering a very, very highly competitive marketplace for a particular product. Um, I'll just pick one. Let's assume it's allergy or something like that. Um, in those types of setups, you're going to have tremendous price pressures. So what you have to be very, very conscious of at that point is what the benefit of the race to the bottom is um, for using or deploying a copay card. Now, one of the one of the great concerns that I think our clients have and that we share because of our position essentially as as the representative of our our pharma clients is that we want to make sure that pharma doesn't have to oversubsidize um, products in a particular class where they really don't have to. 
There may be reasons where they do have to be a whole lot more aggressive on price, but our whole approach when we take a look at the situation in an individual marketplace is we're trying to balance that level between where there is an acceptable level of walk away with an acceptable and desirable level of subsidy. And it's always kind of a balance. And and every situation that you're looking at is different. So it gives you that kind of situation that you have to figure out, where do I need to focus based on what the specifics are of this particular product in this class, in this market? It is complex, but but it's, it's crucial for us to get it right. You know, it's interesting. In over the course of that response, you know, you talked a little bit about the delicate balancing act that trial card plays and plays so well. Um, you know, historically, coupon and copay programs have been some of the most expensive promotional programs that manufacturers do. Um, I think there's a study out there that says that manufacturers spend um, what four billion dollars uh, marketing copay and coupon programs. Uh, could be a little off on the number, but here, here's a question: um, How do you? What ideas do you have on how manufacturers might be able to go beyond traditional approaches in terms? of measuring the success for these programs. You know, obviously, if you're pumping a lot of money into it, you want to see that ROI. Uh, that's absolutely right. And and I think one of the things that's, that's um, pretty compelling when you think about copay and coupon programs, um, I, I tend to look at this in terms of an engagement strategy or, um, or in another word, uh, kind of an acquisition approach. So if you think about it, um, I, I, was, I was looking at some of these numbers. I was giving a, um, um, a presentation the other day, and um, I started to think about a number of different areas in various different sectors and the participation rates that are considered acceptable. So, you know, I have a little bit of a background in direct marketing, and, and direct marketers, if they can get a response rate from a list of targets that ranges about 1% or 2%, maybe a little bit higher than 2%, they're thrilled. Mm-hmm. That's a phenomenally good rate. And, um, you know, there's been uh, the Accenture folks a, a couple of years ago came out with a study, and they said when an adherence program is offered, um, about 7% of patients will choose to sign up. And I looked at those numbers and I thought, boy, those are lousy numbers. <laughs> um, you know, at a very, very core level, I look at that and I think, this is a real struggle. And we'll get back to the, the issue of adherence in a moment. But then when I thought about how copay and coupons can be used, um, you can look at this and you say, when you just look at the portion of, of, of patients who are covered under commercial insurance because, you know, you can't, you know, copay is not going to be applying to anybody with Medicare or Medicaid or any of the other kinds of um, publicly insured people. But you've basically got about 140, 150 million people. And there's pretty good evidence. The IMS came up with a, a study a couple years back that they said about 14 million patients had used a copay card. Yep. So if you just do the math, you're seeing that you're affecting close to 10% of the addressable population because of a copay card. Now, granted, a copay card's appealing because you're getting, you know, patients getting a discount. I completely understand that. But if you take a step beyond that and say, okay, we understand it's appealing, 
patients are getting um, uh, a, a discount on this. But let's take advantage of the fact that these are now patients who are willingly coming back to you. And what are the other services that could be beneficial that you could have these patients engaged in? So in some sense, it, it sort of reverses the paradigm. It's, it almost doesn't think about copay as the end, but as kind of the means to doing something else. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, um, you know, one couple areas that, that I tend to um, obsess about fairly regularly, <laughs> which are adherence and abandonment. Mm-hmm. And uh, both Obviously, of those very, very big issues for the business. Obviously, but you know, but I'm also a public health guy by background, so I look at these things, and I know that you know, all things being equal, a patient who is more adherent than a person who is uh, than a person who is not as adherent is going to have better outcomes. Now, it's not a perfect correlation, but generally speaking, that's a pretty accurate statement. Now, we worry tremendously about adherence and how you get people to go from two and a half fills to three and a half fills. But what we don't worry about is that first 20 or 30% of patients who never pick up that fill to begin with. They don't start the prescription because they abandon for any number of different reasons. So to me, it's, it's, it's almost comical to think about the fact that our whole focus on adherence is to try downstream to get patients to fill more scripts when we're losing such a significant bolus of people right up front. Now, how does copay play into that? Well, the, the, the perspective is if you are making the opportunity for that patient to fill that much greater because of access provided by a copay card, you're going to be reducing your chances at abandonment. So you have now that patient in. And once you've got that patient in, you now have a whole series of other options that you can deploy to try to make sure that that patient stays on product. It's a much, it's a much more sound approach. Get him in first and then think about the right place. Now, if you can bear with me for a couple more seconds, let me <laughs> tell you a couple of perspectives about adherence. Right now, I think the two most common approaches toward adherence are reminder programs of some sort, which essentially says that the reason that most people um, are not adherent is that they forget. And the second most common um, approach to dealing with adherence is with such something like a copay um, card. And guess what? Both of those approaches work reasonably well. But 60% of the reason why people are not adherent are not because they forget and not because of cost. So what are we doing for them? If you're just using a reminder program or a copay program, you're not serving them. You're not handling the reason why they're not adherent. So obviously, you know, I'm not making an argument that, that copay is not a valuable adherence offer, but what I am saying is since you have patients already coming to you for copay, let's be smarter about understanding what are the right interventions for adherence for particular patients. We need to do a whole lot better with segmenting patients and figuring out what are the tactics and what are the strategies that will really resonate with them. Um, to that end, you know, obviously we have our increased focus on outcomes in the um, health environment right now. Um, can you tell me some specific examples of programs that can be integrated into t- traditional copay programs that can more directly outfe- affect outcomes on a broader scale? Um, that was kind of a mouthful there. Apologies. 
<laughs> no worries. Um, absolutely. I, I think there are, are a number of places. I, I think um, sort of following along the theme that I was just sort of developing as far as, uh, as, far as Copay being a great acquisition tool, um, I think one of the opportunities that we have is really focused on patient-reported outcomes. So if you think about that, um, and you can devise a strategy by which we can start to capture the experiences of patients, perhaps through surveys of their experience with a medication, perhaps pre and post use, you start to now be able to understand a little bit more and add to that literature the knowledge about how individual products are working for individual patients. Now that becomes very, very helpful, not in in any way as far as a counter to a clinical trial. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is the need and the desire to understand the patient's perspective in the real world. That's not something that I think we tend to focus on as much as we should. Um, you know, I, I told you a little bit in, in the intro about my background at, at a company called Infomedics, and we really built a whole patient feedback approach. But one of the things that we didn't have the advantage of was enough patients coming in to the mix. That's different now a trial card where we have developed this type of patient feedback um, slash patient-reported outcomes capability because patients come in through this great acquisition tool of copay, there's much more of an opportunity to get larger numbers of patients sharing their experiences with how medications are working in the real world. And we know that there is a great level of interest among various different uh, parties, whether those be specialty conferences or uh, journals, for the experience of patients in the real world. I mean, the feds have, have started their PCORI group um, really to focus on this patient-reported outcome uh, approach. ACOs are now increasingly talking about a value proposition when you're dealing with patients with various different conditions. These are, these are logical outgrowths of various things like the quality initiatives that NCQA did and HEDIS measures and those types of things, but it's expanding beyond those initial places into really understanding in greater depth how patients understand treatment experiences. You know, um, and, you know, while I was listening to your last answer, one question kind of jumped out at me um, and sort of uh, something I'd like to lead into. I mean, do, do, do companies, for lack of a more elegant way to put it, do they get it? Um, can, can you provide some suggestions for how a brand might be able to go about integrating some of the ideas that you've mentioned you know, into the overall execution and evaluation of some of the programs? Sure. Um, I think one of the nice things about um, a, a typical strategy with a copay program is that it tends to be multidimensional. So you are going to have any number of reps who are going to be using copay cards and detailing with doctors. You may have a web or an, a digital presence. You may have a DTC presence. For each and every one of those, they become on-ramps for patients to share their experiences in these kinds of 
patient reported outcomes or or patient feedback programs. Um, my my I tend to be a very practical thinking person, so my my approach has always been um, go where the patients are. If you know that you've got a particular channel that is especially promising and seems to be performing well, really focus on it. Give extra efforts to that and allow that information that you can start to gather in this one-to-one basis because the information that you collect from patients is shared back with that patient's doctor. So now the doctor really understands how Product X is working for Jane Smith. And guess what? That doctor seeing how it's working for Jane Smith may say, oh, look at that Emily Jones over here. looks very similar clinically. I'm going to try this product with her. And so you can think about the value of this experience and these data coming at multiple levels. At that micro level, it's a one-to-one benefit, a doctor understanding how a product works for patient X in his or her practice. At a greater level, you can think about how that data gets aggregated. And once it's aggregated, there's a whole lot of interest in sharing it with those specialty conferences or, or um, journals to show what the true experience in the real world is like. So it increases the ability for people to understand these patient opinions and these patient experiences. It's not the end-all, be-all, but it sure is really helpful to understand products, especially new products. I mean, when, when we look at these kinds of patient feedback programs, launches or early-stage products, products that have been struggling to get their uh, footing, all of those are particularly good to use patient feedback or these kinds of programs with. And the reason is that there's a gap in physicians and other HCPs' empirical understanding of how these products are working in the real world. That's what these kind of patient feedback programs do. They give that doctor the direct understanding of how it's working. Um, when you have conversations, you know, when you look at you know, numbers and everything else, are you, are you optimistic? Um, are people kind of getting it? Again, you have to use that phrase again. But, um, I mean, do, do you sense that there is a kind of a change, kind of a shift in industry thinking about some of these things? You know, it's, it's, it's a funny question to ask because I think I would be disingenuous if I, if I were to say that everybody is suddenly um, getting it because I think I've been talking about the, the changing pharmaceutical landscape for about the last 20 or 25 years. And, you know, we change in fits and starts. Yeah. <laughs> so what I would say is that there are, you know, it's like anything. It's like a crossing the chasm um, picture in which you've got a certain number of people who are really totally committed to this and that you've got another group of kind of a lagging majority, you know, that are continuing to move in this direction, but probably, uh, to be quite honest, probably aren't there yet. The pressures from other parts of this industry and how much this landscape continues to change with, um, with I think, the uh, Affordable Care Act being a major, major player in this, um, with ACOs having a stronger role in how healthcare is being delivered, in the continuing movement of um, organizations like Pecoria as well as other patient-reported outcomes types of groups. All of these are starting to build that critical mass. 
I don't think that everybody is there yet, but I certainly have found more and more people receptive faster than they ever have been. Whether they're making that jump to say everybody needs to do this right now, I can't say that that's the case. But there's certainly a whole lot more understanding and and interest in what we're talking about. To that end, Paul, just one last question for you. It's the old, uh, it's the old crystal ball question. You know, let's say we're having this conversation again um, at this time next year, and I hope we will be. Um, what, what's what's next for the space? What's next for Trial Card? Um, you know, what are some of the things you hope to see? What are some of the things you expect to see? Well, you know, uh, let's talk about some of the things that I expect to see and, and, and that might sort of equate to things that, you know, I'm not particularly looking forward to seeing either. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's kind of the, um, it's, the endless, um, it's the endless battle, I would say, between um, the pharma industry and, and the payer side. Um, I would love to predict that that's going away, but I can't. Um, because I think of any number of, of, of different reasons. It really kind of reminds me a little bit of an arms race uh, of what we're looking about here because, um, you know, payers will complain about the um, price of, of pharmaceutical products um, and what you're winding up seeing happening is more and more people getting covered under high deductible uh, health insurance plans, which increases affordability problems, which is driving more copay and coupon use. So you can sort of see how, you know, everybody takes one step one direction and the response that the other party has is is trying to counter that. And, you know, despite the fact that I, I think of myself as a fairly realistic person, I also have an idealistic side which says that there are still areas upon which we can really find agreement. Um, adherence is one of those areas that I think no one on the payer side or on the pharma side would truly argue is a bad thing. Yes. If you can get patients to be more adherent to uh, their medications, all in all, you will have better outcomes. So I would love to see uh, more partnerships that payers can understand that pharma is going to want to focus on the products that they've got in their um, in in their pipeline or in their in, in their um, marketed um, you know portfolio, and at the same time, payers are going to want to say, you know, it's I don't want to support an adherence program that's just focused on one product. Th- you know that relative to a lot of the other conflicts that exist between payers and pharma is a pretty minor one. If we can get to a point where we say adherence is the goal here, let's make real strides in, in any number of different ways, that gives me some hope for this. Now, what other types of things do I think that we're going to see? Um, the whole specialty pharma uh, approach, which we really haven't talked very much about, but these very high-priced specialty pharmaceutical products um, that are becoming increasingly um, important in our marketplace, I think is going to continue to draw a lot of attention to a certain degree because it's a little bit of a pinata. You know, it's easy; it's an easy target um, as uh, you know to really focus on. But what it really is 
creating is a whole effort, and you know we're involved in this ourselves. I mean, it's a real effort to try to find a way to make sure that those products can be uh, affordable and accessible. Um, so it's created a whole um, sub-network of, of administrative tools to try to make that as easy as possible. That's not going to go away. I think we're going to see that increasing over the next uh, couple of years because that's going to be essential to the way that patients are going to get their care that they need um, as well as the way that pharma needs to be able to uh, market these products. But it's going to continue to cause considerable consternation. Um, I think we're also, since we're in the election year, we're also going to see, um, you know, pharma as, as an election issue, um, which is also not going to be um, a, a pretty sight to see. But, you know, to a certain degree, you sort of have to accept that. That's kind of the nature of the beast um, in any kind of election year. Um, once that goes past, I think what you'll probably find is everybody gets a little bit more realistic about how you have to look at these things and you have competing interests that are legitimate on both sides. And, you know, compromises, however tentative and tenuous, will be reached. Um, and I think for us, you know, as a company, trial card just looks very optimistically at the future. We see um, the role that we play as far as having this great acquisition tool for whatever types of products um, patients need to be using and the additional range of services that we can attach to those uh, programs, whether it be patient-reported outcomes and, and things like that. Um, we have a, a sub-network that tries to really focus on abandonment issues in, in the marketplace. Uh, we've got outreach programs that are tremendously effective um, with dealing with both HCPs and pharmacies. All of these um, attributes that we've got within our company, uh, we feel really good about because they help address the crucial needs that I think our, our, our industry and, our, and this particular sector are really facing. It's an amazing time to be in this business, ain't it? It sure is, <laughs> no doubt. Paul, I can't thank you enough for your time here today. This was wonderful. Um, that was Paul Levine, um, VP of Analytic Services for TrialCard, telling us an awful lot about the company's uh, couponing and copay programs and also an awful lot about the overall industry perspective. Uh, both was incredibly welcome. Thanks so much for being here, Paul. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. And for the MM&M Partner Perspectives podcast, I'm Larry Dobrow. Take care.